0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Your your inner emotions that you would make your decisions. Now, since then, we have developed our thinking that it comes from your mind. That's why in some passages it talks about heart. Other passages, it'll talk about mind. They can be used together. Because what you think about will often develop your passions and emotions and your heart. And from that, you will make choices. That's why it says, keep your heart, keep your mind, keep your emotions, keep your thought patterns, keep what you think about with all diligence, for out of it will come the issues of life. So if you're saying, all right, what's my part in changing? First of all, it's what I'm thinking about. And so I've got to make sure that I think properly. Now, this now helps us to go into a a new term, New Testament term. It's the word repentance. That word is often connected to salvation, that you have to repent to be saved. It clearly says to go to heaven, you need to repent. The word repentance means metanoia. Meta means change, like metamorphosis. Noia, we get our word neuro, like neurosurgeon, brain or mind or thinking. So now you have change, thinking. Now, it could go down into a changed life, but really, to go to heaven, I change my thinking. To go to heaven, I change my thinking about who I am. I'm a sinner. I change my thinking about how I get to heaven. I cannot get to heaven by my good deeds. I change my thinking about Jesus. Jesus is God who died and rose again. I change my thinking. I better not be passive about this. I better believe in Jesus Christ. Now, just changing my thinking does not get me into heaven. I change my thinking from false ways to heaven... And now I know the right way to get to heaven. Then I place my faith in Christ, and that gives me eternal life. Now, stay with that. Now, once I'm saved, I have a life in front of me. And God says, I want that life to change. I'm going to give you the word of God as a manual. I'm going to give you the spirit of God for the power to do it. I'm going to throw circumstances your way to get your attention. But what you have to do is you've got to change your thinking. And so what he's screaming at all of us today is, As much love as possible, he says, guys, if you're going to change, you've got to stop the way you're thinking. You go back to the word because the word will tell you what are right thoughts and what are wrong thoughts. So it all goes back to the synergy part. God says, I give you the word. You go to me to do it. But now you have to make the choice. You have to repent. Change your thinking. Make sure that your thinking would be of scripture. Now, let's go to the other two passages of scripture. All right. The next one is found in Ephesians. It says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard of him and have been taught of him, and of course we have through the word, as the truth is in Jesus. And here's what you should do. Put off the old concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's like keep your heart with all diligence. You renew the spirit of your mind. And that you put off the old, and in this case now put on the new. Let's look at the third passage found in Romans chapter 12. Here's how it goes. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed the renewing of your mind. The part that changes us begins in our mind by the renewing of your mind, that you may discover or prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says. Because I love you, by my mercy, I want you to change your life. And God says, I love you. So I don't want you to think that God is up there, and every time you do something bad, he wants to squash you like a bug. Don't look at the circumstances you have as merely God is punishing you. Don't look at that, because then you don't see a merciful God. You see an angry, mean God. True, he has anger and he hates sin, but he loves you and he's merciful. So these circumstances are nothing more than love nudges. Now, sometimes you have to nudge a little bit. And you, you know, kind of nudge a little bit and you kind of get back in line. Sometimes he has to nudge a little bit harder. But it's all born not out of meanness, but out of mercy that he does that. And he says, okay, I want you to do this so that you would have a body or a changed lifestyle. You use your body. For my glory and service. And where does it start? By changing your mind. What do I first change my mind about? That God loves me. So if I'm to change something, that means I have to start this or stop that. If that's what he wants me to do, it's because he loves me. And who doesn't want to do that if we really love the Lord? Then he says, here's what I want you to do. But I change my mind first. Out of my heart, that's my issues of life, so I've got to go to my mind. I have to realize that I have to renew it by putting off the old and putting on the new. And I do it because of the mercies of God. And if I do that, then that's a wonderful experience that we have. So we we choose what we think about. Now here's a word you don't use very much, but you have heard, it's the word meditate. Now you might hear that in yoga and some other kind of Eastern religions and some of the New Age stuff, but I need to tell you that the concept of meditation is extremely biblical. What's not biblical is that about which you meditate and see if you meditate like okay i can do it i can do it what my mind can conceive my life can achieve if we do that we're gonna fall flat on our face oh that'll work for a little while and you could look at some people that were purport to do all of that but when they die they still go to hell and if they've trusted christ when they die they go to heaven with very little rewards because that's not what god wants us to meditate about so don't throw off meditation the method or the mode is not wrong it's the message about what we're meditating let me try to put it in a more comfortable fashion If I was to ask you, do you meditate? Most of you would probably say, well, not as often as I should. I probably don't meditate. And I mean, I can't remember the last time I just sat down and meditated. I'm going to tell you that it's my personal opinion. And I could be wrong, but I believe all of us in the last 24 hours have meditated. And here's how I can tell you. How many of you worried about something over the last 24 hours? You know what that is? That's thinking on negative thoughts. That thinking on negative thoughts is called meditation. Meditation. So what God says is you do think, but this time, what do you think about? Don't think about positive thoughts necessarily. You think about the word of God. You then take the word that you have read and studied and perhaps memorized. You go through the word and you think about that one phrase. And if you think about it over and over and over and over again, that's called meditation. So if you want to change, instead of trying to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you go back to the word and you say, Lord, I'm I'm thinking about your word. You know most of this story. Some of you, you that are our guests, haven't heard this. Many years ago when I taught in Bible college, we were memorizing verses and all that. I had a student come up to me, and they said, do you memorize verses? I said, yes. And the student, I could call him a kid, he said, would you memorize some verses if I gave them to you? And I very pridefully and wrongfully as a teacher said, yes, I'll do it, because I was very cocky about it. And he said, all right, I'm going to find a passage. He did. He flipped through the Bible, found the passage, spun my Bible around, gave it back to me, and it was Psalm 119. Do you know how many verses are in Psalm 119? 176 verses. So then I thought, okay, instead of going verse 1 all the way through verse 176, I read it through many times and I found out that there were subjects in that. If you didn't know that, there are subjects. You have teach me, you have whole heart, you have make me alive, uh, phrases like that. And so I went in and I put together a subject index of Psalm 119. And then I memorized them on cards according to those subjects. If I end this sermon and I'm at the back door and you say, okay, pastor, give me Psalm 119 verse 130 right here. Drop and give me five. You know, I don't know that I could spit that back out to you, but I memorized it and I give it to you. Here's what I can tell you. If I review it, it'll come back very quickly. Secondly, it is very weird how this happens. But when I'm going through something that I need for that moment, the Holy Spirit has a unique way of taking the word that I did choose to memorize and somehow spit it back to my mind. He brings it back to my recall because that verse was put into my mental toolbox. So now the Spirit of God can grab that tool, that Bible verse, and fling it back to me right when I need it. But if I never memorize it, it never went into my mental toolbox and I can't pull it out. Since we know that God is supernatural and the spirit of God is supernatural and the word of God is supernatural, at times I might not be able to give you every word exactly punctuated the way that verse will say. I will tell you that God has a way to accurately, this is important, accurately present that truth to my spirit and to my thinking to bring about change in my life because I've taken the book to do that. So meditation is thinking on the word of God and that will produce success. All right, in our life, So we need to choose what we think about. And so if you're saying right now, what do I need to do to change? Well, Here's the first thing. God says, I give you the resource. It's the word of God. And since I've given you the resource, your response then is to read it and memorize it and meditate on it. Think about that. Renew your mind that the word of God is important first. And then secondly, that you're going to know that word for the purpose of applying it. And when you do that, change will begin to happen in your life. Anything apart from that, it's not going to happen. What's the second part? That's my part. I should choose to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And I've added the phrase moment by moment, because some of us may depend on the Spirit theologically, but we don't depend upon the Spirit moment by moment. And so John fifteen four and 5 kind of gives you this concept this way. Jesus speaking, he said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Because I am the vine, and you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, will bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So a severed branch can't produce fruit. And fruit bearing really is an inside job. So what I need to realize here, if I'm going to grow, I have to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Let me show you something that I have here. Now, I'll tell you a little story about our our life. I I live sometimes in what is known as a craft factory. My wife likes to do crafts. She had her own craft store one time in the mainland. She's very creative. She takes junk and makes wonderful things out of it. And so she has this bright idea that when she walks along the beach, she's looking for glass. She calls it beach glass. And so now we have all different colored beach glass in piles green ones and blue ones and clear ones. We found all sorts of weird stuff. We found a gold flat piece of metal that had stuff all over, but when we scraped it aside, it's solid gold. I I, I don't even know what to do with that, except hide it from you. So I have that. But Carol says, maybe I could make some glass jewelry with it. I thought that's pretty neat. Do you know how hard it is to drill through a piece of beach glass. And so you have to get a diamond head bit that's real small. So I said, okay. She says, do we have a drill? I said, don't worry. We have one at the church. She says, good. Would you bring one home? I've got one of those diamonds things you got at Walmart with the drill bit on it. She says, I want to try it. So I did. And I brought her one of these. You see what this is? This is a man's drill right here. We like drills like this. The reason we like drills like this, we don't have to be aggravated with this wiring, plugging it in and finding, you know, you get a three-prong, you know, cord, and you got a two-socket, you know, deal, and so we like these, they're really quick, so I get it home, I get all this stuff laid out, and says, Kara, let me do one for you so you don't drill a hole through your finger, you know, and uh, boy, that was dumb, she looks at me, what, well, you think I'm that stupid, uh, no, I just want to do it for you, I want to show you I'm a man here, so I get this thing, and I get it all lined up, and I'm ready to do it, and this is what I get out of this, seriously, this is full blast, okay, but don't worry, I have another one, this one comes with two battery packs, I snap that baby in. Like this. Now, in order to use, to drill through glass, it not only has to have a diamond tip on the end, it's got to be so fast that when you go through it, it you know, goes right. This thing, I, I couldn't, I, could, I don't think I could drill a, a hole in the wall with this here. Now, you're probably, what am I telling you this for? A lot of us, when we trust Christ as Savior, we have the power available to us, but we don't depend upon it. We don't stay connected to it. And so a lot of times, we are trying to change in our own flesh. Now will this drill a hole? Maybe. All holes? No. Will it be equipped for every hole I want to drill? Absolutely not. How long will this last? I'm not really sure, but I think it's slowing down even as I speak. Okay? So it probably won't last long. Those of us that are in here, all of you are intelligent enough to know areas in your life you want to change. And you probably have enough umption in your gumption to get some of that changed. But I will tell you it will not last long because this won't last long. So Carol now has me going out, looking for a drill that has a nice long cord that I can plug into the wall that I I turn that baby on, it'll just zip. And there's a lot of truth to that. As long as I stay plugged in, then I will have all the power that's necessary. That's why just trusting Christ as your Savior does not necessarily mean that you will have an automatic and complete change in your life. What it does mean now is that you have the wonderful, priceless gift of God's Spirit the power is there that the world doesn't have. You have it there. But we have to stay vitally connected and dependent upon that spirit, like that wire into the, uh, to the wall socket, to continue working on that. And so all of us has that. But do you use it? When you face a tough day at the office and you're saying, Lord, change me, power me down for some of us and others, power me up because we're very complacent. Are we saying, Lord, I I can't do this, but I know you can and I want you to have freedom in my life to have this happen. That's why we abide in him and he abides in us. It's more than saying I'm in him and he's in me. That's a theological truth that happens when we're saved. But the abiding is a moment by moment experience so we can abide only when we're in. He can only abide with us only when he is within us. And I'd like to submit this to you, that if there is a connected way to do this, it's going to happen through our prayers. And if there are Christians that are probably weak in an area, it's going to be in prayer. It won't be so much when you say grace. Most all of you probably say in your own little spiritual way, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, and you get on with it. Some of you will pray when you're going through a real crisis or if you're, if you're confined to a prayer meeting where that you are kind of restricted to praying. But I'm talking about those who are so much feeling, the necessity of prayer, that you will block out time and you will pray. That when you're driving, you shut that radio off and you pray. When you're going about certain times during your day, it may not be on your knees crying unto God for stuff, but you are petitioning Him for power, you're rejoicing, you're glorifying Him, and you're sensing His presence in your life. That kind of prayer. So I have to change my life. What I think about, and then my choice is to depend upon His Spirit moment by moment. The third one is also just as critical, and that is I have to choose how I respond to the circumstances that are given to me. I have to choose to the circumstances that are given to me. How I respond is important. I chose just one passage, actually two. James chapter one verse two through four says this: My brethren, read the next four words. My brethren, what? Count, Count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. So when trials come your way, you rejoice when they come your way because they're doing a deeper work in your life to help you to become stronger through that. So tribulation will come. So it's our choice to rejoice. And then Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, And not only that, but we also glory. Glory in our tribulations. I love that. James says rejoice. This one says go beyond rejoicing and now glory in this stuff. Why? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. I love that. Proven character. Perseverance then goes from character to hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in the hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I want you to know that God will use different circumstances to do that. Let me pause and share this concept with you as well It's truth that God brought it out as a balance when I read through it, I approached God's way of dealing with us in circumstances from purely and singularly a negative perspective and I wanna I don't wanna leave you with that impression I don't want you to think that the only way that you're gonna move your feet is when you have something for you that goes real neat or real heat real hot I want you to see that God loves you so much that he will bring circumstances in your life that will be tribulations and he'll continue to bring them until finally you're able to see that through that tribulation, God also brought a changed spirit about you. The very change that you wanted, he brought about it through a tribulation. Job in the Old Testament said this, and you know the story of Job. He lost his family, lost his health, lost his wealth, lost all of that, left with nothing but a cranky wife and a couple of you know, miserable counselors, friends. And he said this, he cried out, he said, Oh, my worst fears has come upon me. And so as I look at that passage, that's huge to me. It tells me that whatever he worried about, God permitted to have happened into his life only to show him that when it did happen, God would be there to get him through it, that he didn't need to worry about it ahead of time. So he allowed it to happen through the fear that he had. And I'm wondering if some of us, because we choose to fear this stuff so much that God says, okay, you fear it, I'm going to let you have it. But when I do, I'm going to be there that had you trusted me ahead of time, knowing that I'll be there, I'll take care of all of this stuff you didn't need to worry about in the first place. So yes, through some circumstances, that heat will move your feet and it will happen. I remember when I was in Bible college, I was being trained for ministry. I was committed to the Lord. I was committed to do ministry and I wanted to affect lives, our Bible college had a church connected to it, and we had Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning services, Sunday night services, Wednesday night services, midweek studies, plus all of our college, all of our homework, all of our work we had to do to put our way through school because there was no government support for us of any kind of scholarships or any kind of what do you call student loans or nothing like that. Just I was running a ministry, going to school, trying to provide for my family, etc., and it was like I got around a group of guys that were in school. They weren't bad guys. They weren't running after women. They were just good, good guys. But they didn't see the value of being under authority regarding going to church. And our college said, if you're going to be in ministry, you need to be at church on Sunday night. They told us that we need to experience church on a regular basis if we're going to be in ministry. It's kind of like a discipline, a, a training period. And so I played hooky from Sunday night church. I got fed up with going to church Sunday night. It was okay. It was a good service and everything, but I really enjoyed these guys. Now, picture what happened. We're in South Florida. The college at that time was in South Florida. The guys lived on a canal near Coconut Grove in that part of South Florida. And so as you stepped out to the edge of the canal, you look across the canal, there were gazillion dollar boats over there next to a a mega gazillion dollar home. This guy had a little canoe and he would put it into the water and we would paddle around all these mega yachts. And we thought this was a lot of fun in our little canoe. Funny, our canoe's name was Refuge, painted on the side. And so we'd be paddling through these canoes, looking at these million-dollar boats. We got to the end of one canal, and as we did, the canal kind of just ended, like at this wall. The only difference was, the water kind of went through a little hole, like a culvert. And so I had the bright idea, why don't we paddle the canoe and see where this thing goes. And of course, yeah, sure, let's do it. And I says, no, no, one of you, I want you to get out of the canoe. I've got a reed in here, and I'm gonna try to poke it up and let's see where this thing ends. you will see how far I can go in this canoe. Now, don't worry, I didn't die. So I'm paddling this thing. And as I get to the end of it, I see this it's pitch black in there now, barnacles all over, stinks like sewer. And I see this little ladder going up with a manhole up there. I thought, that is so cool. So I stuck my reed up through that little hole that, you know, how you pick up the manhole in. I stuck it up there, and I'm waving this thing all around. And so I can't wait to pull it down and paddle my way back to find out how far did I get in the belly of South Florida. So as I'm paddling it out, because it was so long... The tide came up and now the canoe is jammed up against the top of this culvert and water's now coming inside of this thing. And I, I didn't know how to get out of this. I'm thinking now I can't get the canoe out. It's scraping along the barnacles. It's hung up under here. And I know I only have maybe another 45 minutes and we could be in, I was going to say deep water, but anyway, that's what it was going to be. So I'm scraping to get out of this thing. And now I'm saying, oh God, help me, help me. I promise you, I will be in church the next day. The door's <laughs> open on this thing. As I'm going out, I cut my hands on the raw, razor-sharp barnacles, and they're now all bleeding. And I still have scars on my body today that I can show you from that time. God was good. Somehow I was able to push down with the paddle, you know, push up here, which would push the little canoe down under the water, and I can kind of, you know, work your way back out that way till I pop back out. And, of course, I was excited to find out my reed was waving up and down beautiful South Dixie Highway with cars whizzing by. All I can say is I thank God that I didn't try to lift up the manhole because I'd be in the middle of a four-lane highway, literally, okay? God used that circumstance to remind me not so much, you've got to be in church. What he reminded me was is that I had an authority figure over me that told us what we were needing to do. Whatever their reasons were, I knew they meant it for good. I chose to take my own way and do it my way instead of submitting to those that are over me, to those spiritual leaders that are over me, the ones that God placed in my life to help develop me. And so today, I have a scar on my body, but I have to tell you, I was never more petrified in my entire life as I was hung up in the middle of this dark drain in South Florida. Now that I said that, I want you to know God will use negative circumstances. But here's the new material that I got this morning that I wanted to match it up with. This found in Romans chapter 2. It says this. Don't you know that the goodness of God can bring about repentance? I'm quoting that for you now. And I wanted you to know that as much as God will turn up the heat to move your feet, God will also provide many wonderful things that are neat to move your feet. And I want you to know that sometimes if you look at God blessing you, that you might say, wait a minute, I I thank God for this. Woo, boy, that was a, he got me out of that one. He he, he healed my kid. He gave me a job. He helped me at work. He he did this. He did all that. For a moment there, don't just say, oh, Lord, thank you for that blessing. What you might want to say is, Lord, what do I need to change in my life? What do I need to do to change in my life? Because everything that's happening is to help us to conform more to Christ. Now, here's what I cannot do. I cannot tell you that if he does this circumstance, this is the thing you need to change. There are preachers who will try to do that. I can't do that because the Holy Spirit knows you better than I'll ever know you. And he knows where he's leading you on your faith journey to become all that God wants you to be. But I want you to know there will be some heat and there will be some neat that will come into your life to move your feet. So what do I need to do? The resource is the word of God. I need to know that resource. I need to know that he's given me the resource of the spirit of God for the power. Because there's nothing that God wants you to change in your life that he doesn't give you his power to change it. So I respond to his power by depending upon it. And then he gives me all these circumstances. Some of them are trials and some of them are going to be blessings, whatever they might be. My response to that should be, you know what? In obedience. I receive that and I ask you, Lord, what now do you want me to change in my life? And here's the last thought. You know that verse 2, 12, and 13? It says, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you're here today and you're saying, I want to please the Lord. I want to just please the Lord. The number one thing you want to do is to change your life. You want to go to Him for all His resources that He gives to you. That's His part. And then you want to do your part by responding to them. And when you do that, you bring great pleasure to the Lord. He is up there and He says to every single one of us, Stan, I want your life to change. And and you, I want your life to change. And you young people, don't just kind of exist. Don't just survive. Don't be a survivor. Be a thriver. And He says, I promise all of that out for you. Remember, God's part is I love you so much. I've given you my word. I've given you my spirit. I've given you the circumstance. And I love you so much, and you can please me if you'll just go to my word, you'll go to my spirit, and if you respond to the circumstance. And right now, he's in heaven. He's here, he's in heaven, but he's saying, are you ready to please me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure?